Hi there, this is How to Choose, the show that helps you make better decisions and improve your judgment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ken. And I'm Tessa. And today we're chatting with Dr. Chris Betcher, who is a fitness expert and 10 times Ironman competitor. Have you heard of the Ironman concept before, Tess? I have. I actually lived in Hawaii for a number of years. So I went to the island where it's actually competed at. And it is a tough track, let me tell you. Yeah, I've heard that. It's uh, apparently incredibly hot. Is that correct? The run looked awful from what I've seen. It's a baking sun, big, long uh, road. And when we were there, actually, it was buffeting with wind. It would have just been the toughest Tough as Ironman, I could imagine. Well, Chris has completed 10 Ironman events, so he is a very impressive person. So let's take a listen to what Chris has to say about health and fitness and how to turn good decisions into life change. Well, today we're chatting with Dr. Chris Betcher, fitness expert and 10 times Ironman competitor. So Dr. Chris, welcome to How to Choose. It's great to have you on the show. Ken, uh, I appreciate you getting up bright and early here across on the other side of the world. It's it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you so much. Now, Chris, you are by, I think, any standard, a high achiever. You've got a doctorate in physical therapy. You're a 10 times Ironman competitor, including three times finisher at the Ironman World Championships. You're a trainer. You're a fitness expert with uh, brother to brother, along with your brother, Brett. And most importantly, maybe you're a podcaster as well. So- Now, when you were a high school senior, did you imagine that you were going to achieve these things? Uh, Not not by any sliver of the imagination. I I grew up in in a rural part of the Midwest. And uh, yeah, it was just one of those things where uh, I I played a lot of athletics, had three younger brothers, and so didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I was interested in athletics, interested in health. And so physical therapy seemed like a, a logical opportunity for me. But yeah, couldn't, couldn't imagine being where I am today, to be honest. So I, I guess the question then, and this is, is something we were chatting about a little earlier as well. For many of us, as, as we're going through life, we're trying to navigate some of those big decision points. And um, you know, I know particularly when you sort of come through high school, it's a really difficult crunch point often for for people who are felt like feel like they're under a lot of pressure, feel like they've got to make the decision that's going to launch them into some sort of career. Can you talk a bit about how you did navigate those decisions? But both your initial decision, as you said, you had an interest in athletics and sports, and it seemed like, you know, an obvious choice to make. But just going forward from there, how did how did you manage that career pathway? Sure. And and I think, you know, for me it was Unfortunately, I felt early on that, and I think there's a generational piece to this as well, is, you know, my parents and my friend's parents, they either hadn't gone to college and had sort of learned that that was the way that they wanted to make sure that that their kids were set up for success long-term. So college was always presented as being the only option. And so me and my, you know, almost all of my closest friends, that was the choice that we made is we all went to school very few of us had, I would say, a clear idea of what we were getting ourselves into. Uh, I mean, I got into physical therapy because of what I thought it was. And to be honest, once I got into it a little bit further, I realized that it wasn't quite what I thought. It wasn't going to be working with athletes all day, every day and and rehabbing, you know, NFL pros or anything like that. And, you know, you get these like grand visions as an 18 year old of where you're going to end up. And, you know, as I got into it further, I think part of my Part of my problem, is, I think, is that I, I don't like to give up on things. And so 
I committed to it. I was, you know, a couple of years into school and, you know, I probably had some question marks as to what else I could be doing, but it seemed like a very safe option. There was plenty of jobs, pay was decent, and I thought I would probably generally enjoy it. And uh, I, I certainly had this idea of what risk was at the time and probably had a stigma that it was a more negative thing than what it was. And, you know, there were certainly parts of me that were trying to figure out what else could I be doing? What else would I be a little bit more passionate about? But again, everybody else was continuing down this path. So I felt like that's what I needed to continue to do. And I think the longer I stayed into it, the more I realized, you know, there was a lot of classmates I had that were like super passionate about this is what they wanted to do. And, you know, as I got into my career, um, you know, I, I had athletics in college and then I also continued after that on kind of the Ironman side of things. So I had this sort of athletics passion project alongside my, my, you know, professional career as a therapist. And I think it, it served as a nice distraction. And I didn't realize that I really wasn't as passionate about it. And it wasn't so much the, the taking care of people. I really enjoyed that. It was all of the other nonsense, so to speak, that I was having to deal with, with insurance. And you just, you're just not really taking care of patients as much as what you think you're going to be going into the career. And, but I felt kind of handcuffed. And, and I think part of, part of my looking back, you know, in my high school and early college days is I wish I would have had a lot more experience with multiple areas, whether it be marketing or sales or technology, all of these things that I'm learning now after having left traditional healthcare. But at the time, you know, when you're in your, you know, final years of, of school and you get into your early years of, of your career, you sort of feel like this is what I need to do the rest of my life. And um, so, you know, I, I was able to, I worked for 10 years as a therapist and then, you know, a, a lot of changes happened that we'll probably dig into here in a little bit. But I just realized like I need to do something else. I need to take some consistent action in other areas to try to develop some other skills and see where that takes me. So um, I, th I think that would be my 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 cautionary tale of try to get exposure to as much as you can, you know, when you're in your your early, you know, teens, even working your way through high school. And even, you know, if you're gonna jump into college, not being afraid to try different things because you know, your your degree does not identify who you are. And I think that's where many, many people fall into is that they feel like they're only equipped to do one thing and they have this sunk investment in their college education and they never really escape that. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. And we we do talk about that. I think that susceptibility to to that sunk investment's a really interesting one too. And and it's interesting even listening to you because in some ways people might imagine, well, look, I go to college, it's gonna open up opportunities, you know, it's gonna increase my sense of confidence. But for you, you're talking about it more being a limiting experience. And I I think we see that a little bit in Australia. I know when I started university many years ago. That was the first year that there were any university fees. So university in Australia was completely free up until the late 80s. So when I went through originally, the, the fees were very low, but they're much, much higher now. And I think many people can relate to this, particularly in our economic climate, the fact that you make a decision and you almost feel now, well, look, I'm, I'm obliged or I'm stuck in this. And in our first season, we talked a bit about the fact that you know some people will choose a path and stick to it. I've got a cousin who's a 
thoracic surgeon. It is a very, very long path to become a thoracic surgeon, you know, and I think he spent 17 years or something to get to the point of of having reached, you know, that level of, of skill and specialization. I think for many other people, particularly, you know, for yourself, you know, there's a sense of, well, I'll try something for a period, I'll do something else. We talk about the idea of you're either felling a tree, and if you fell a tree, you don't get to unfell it, <laughs> or you're pruning a hedge. And, and when you prune a hedge, you know, you might come up with something that looks like a bit of a blob, and then you might prune it a bit more and end up with a sort of topiary dragon at the end of it all. <laughs> and uh, it sounds to me like, you know, you would see yourself as a bit more of a, a hedge pruner in terms of your career, uh, rather than a tree feller. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, it kind of goes back to, there was a there was a bit of, you know, I, I raced for a number of years, and but as when I got married, um, I kind of gave that up. And so it did expose the career and it exposed that I really wasn't all that satisfied with the way things were going. And, you know, there's certainly a component to the student debt side of it. And, uh, you know, it definitely sounds like a very different dynamic in the United States, that's for sure. Uh, and and I, I just wonder, you know, how many people are kind of falling into that same path where, you know, they they get into it for the right reasons, realize they're overwhelmed for a number of whether it's not what they thought it was or, you know, they're taking on so much debt that they just don't even know where to go from there. And I think that creates a, a very defeating process too, where you want to, you want to do the best you can as you're, you know, with your employment and with your career, but you just feel like you can't get ahead. And at that point, you also feel like, you know, your self-belief is crushed and you just, you don't necessarily know how to even turn the page to do anything else. And I certainly fell into that rut. I was very fortunate that, this is going to sound crazy that that COVID hit because it gave me an opportunity to reflect and take some time and realize I'm not as I'm not as present with my family. I'm not able to give them nearly the attention I want. I'm neglecting my own health. I'm doing some things that were so against what I had done the first you know 25 to 28 years of my life. But just the wear and tear of of the career, it just it wasn't sustainable and. You know, my brother, who's a few years younger than me, uh, Brett, and we, him and I just started having some conversations about about life and realizing that we weren't happy doing what we were doing, and that there had to be another alternative that was more interested in in taking care of people and learning additional skills. And um, yeah, that that was kind of what what changed everything for us was the opportunity to step back, reflect, and figure out what we wanted instead of just following the path that is sort of directed you know, sort of herding of the cattle, so to speak, that a lot of people kind of fall into and they don't even realize they're making decisions just because everybody else is. That's so interesting. And there's a couple of things I'd love to sort of pick up on that. And then then we might go into a little bit more detail about some of the different things you've done. But you talked a, a moment ago too about risk, you know, that there's a bit of a risk aversion, I think that often holds a lot of us back, you know, it, it, and which is natural. And we don't really learn about risk management. How did you learn about risk management when it comes to making these kind of decisions? Was it just you using your brain? You've obviously got a good brain. So was it just a case of saying, well, let's look at the data and see what it tells us? Is the risk as great as it feels? Yeah. And I would say uh, generally speaking, I've I've never been against risk, whether it's, you know, obviously jumping into things like like Ironman and stuff. You're doing a lot of cycling, you're out on the road with cars. And so you're exposing yourself to to risk in training pretty much on any given day. So I'm sure that was part of it. But I also recognize that when I took risk athletically, 
it it did open the door to other things. And I, I think part of it was I I never realized that I was I was taking risks in those areas of my life, but I was risk averse in many other areas, whether that was you know financially or um, you know looking at just yeah again career choice and and again I just I, I think I was just lack of exposure that I didn't realize other opportunities were out there and you know some of that may have just been growing up in a very rural little quieter community just not being exposed to a lot of other things and I think the more more that I learned and the more that I saw other areas out there, the more interested I became. And it, it eventually, you know, reached a tipping point where it's like, if I'm not happy doing this and I had, there's other ways for me to continue to learn new skills, then what, what does it hurt for me? I can listen to podcasts. I can read books, but like none of that stuff really moves the needle if I'm not willing to take some kind of action on it. And so I, I think it was a it was definitely a transition. It's not something that I can say was a epiphany of like you know I'm just going to go for it here. Uh, I think it was just sort of this overwhelming cascade of events that kind of took place that eventually I was like I need to do something and I don't really know what that is, but we're just going to go forward and, and see what happens. And you mentioned also it's it's fascinating because I think I had something of a similar experience and I know some others have as well. Just the fact that it it took a, a crisis a pandemic to create that jolt that forced you to well i presume shut a bunch of things down as it did here in australia and uh just gave you that time to think and you hear about that sometimes with athletes who have you know these terrible injuries they're, they're stuck in a hospital bed and it's and you you cannot do anything really uh in, but think you're forced to, to pause and think i really like too that you'd you referred to that um, discovery of of your passion. I've just finished reading Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. I don't know if you've read that, but I, I highly recommend that to anyone who's listening because Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, I guess for all the, the negatives that we associate with these multinational corporations, it's a very human story. And it's ultimately a story of someone who had a very clear passion and spent a very long period of time doing things that other people thought were crazy because, <laughs> you know, they were constantly in debt. Um, but just that pursuit with a few other runners of a passion of feet and shoes. And I think there's there's something in that, isn't there? It's it's irregular. It's certainly, you know, his his father constantly criticized his choices. And there was a, a, a pathway that people expected him to follow. And he instead followed a passion. And now you're at a point where I think you've got that opportunity to do that more. How how does that feel? Yeah, I mean, I think what you just mentioned too about Phil Knight. I don't want to say I'm not going to try to compare myself to Phil Knight in any capacity, but there is a lot of negativity when you're doing something different. There's no question about that. You know, you start you start trying to whether it's you know I remember when we when we started our podcast and when we told people we were going to start doing you know a bit more stuff on Twitter and getting our our message out, trying to start doing some individual like online clients and things like that. People didn't get it, and when you're doing something that goes against the norm that they can't relate to, then the natural reaction is negativity or criticism, or just, they just don't believe in you, so to speak. And so I, I think, you know, when it comes to being able to push through, um, and I think this goes back to what I had to do during COVID too, is just creating opportunities to reflect and to build self-belief. So, you know, for me, it was, I need to get my nutrition dialed in. I need to focus on sleep. I need to focus on my fitness because those are the things that make me feel good, that charge me up every day and give me an opportunity to 
regardless of what failures I run into, whether that's conversations with people that don't believe in you or, you know, learning new skills that you don't feel comfortable with, but you're going to just keep showing up for. I don't, I don't know how to be successful without some kind of that, you know, consistent, unrelenting self-belief because there's just, there's, there's a lot of things you're going to run into when you're doing something different. And if you're, if you're expecting to be supported by, you know, your peers, or even in some cases, your family, I think those are sometimes the people that are the most critical of those, those pivots that you make in life that don't really make sense. It's really exciting to, to hear you talk about this. I think it's extremely helpful for our listeners who are tuning in because they're dealing with tough decisions, right? They're, they're trying to work out how they can get better at decision-making. Now, can we talk a bit about being an Ironman and, do, and, and an Ironman triathlete? For those people who have not heard of the Ironman triathlon, can you explain to listeners what kind of distances you're covering? Sure. Yeah. So it's a, it's a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike and a marathon 26.2 mile run. Um, and you have to complete that all over the course of 17 hours. So basically you, you get started at, uh, the break of dawn. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a one day event, um, something that I've, I've done a number of times. And, uh, it, it's, it's one of those things that I, this kind of goes back to the mindset side of things is, I think for most people, it's just, it's overwhelming to even comprehend the idea of doing it. But the, I, f- I forget the statistics. It's something like 91 or 92% of the people who start the race, finish the race. Wow. So it just kind of goes to show that when you commit to it, you sign up, you put in the training, you can do it. It's just, mm. and, and, and you, if you ever, if you ever get an opportunity to see an Ironman, I always encourage people to go watch because you'll be amazed at some of the people who are out there competing. Um, and it's, it's not the body types you necessarily expect to see on the course. Um, but yeah, I think it's just that, that commitment, putting that date on the calendar. And, um, again, there's a a high, high percentage of people who, who complete it. And it's because, you know, they believe that they could do it. So we, we just talked about self-belief. So I, I I felt like that was a, a nice little segue there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's right. Because the photos you see coming out of these events, you're not seeing photos of the the finishers who are way back in the field. You're seeing photos of the elite athletes at the start, and it can really create a perception that this is for the 0.01 percenters. And that's maybe a nice little metaphor for life generally, isn't it? Because it, it's not just in races. It's often with anything that we see the people who are super successful. And sometimes it's hard to see ourselves in those people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, we we kind of play this compare game with the best of the best. And the reality is the only competition we really have is ourselves when we start to to show up and, and do something different. You know, it's whether it's, you know, you talked about starting businesses or starting a podcast, or there's just not very many people these days willing to do something different. And just by making the commitment and showing up every day, you don't have competition anymore. You've, you've basically left 95% of the people behind just by taking that first step, because most people are not even going to do that in the first place. And I heard you speak about this elsewhere as well, Chris, the idea of just taking those little steps, you know, that you didn't make a, a huge radical change in one step to get your life in the space that you wanted it to be. But but it was little things like, you know, getting enough sleep, as you've just mentioned, and adjusting your diet, getting enough protein in your diet. And it might be a series of small steps, mightn't it? Yeah, I think it's just a matter of you can, I think everybody generally knows that low hanging fruit, the things that they're struggling with the most that, 
if you make, and this kind of even goes back to some of the guys that we, we coach is we're not making radical changes to people's lives to make them healthier. It's, it's simplifying the process. I think in our heads, we, we overcomplicate everything. And as a result, we, we cr- turn into this, you know, analysis paralysis, so to speak, where, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're just thinking there's so many things we need to do to get it right. When really we just need to take one step and see what that leads to, and then take another step. And it doesn't have to be you know, overly complicated to all of a sudden you you take those consistent steps over weeks, months, and maybe a full year, and your life can look completely different. Mm-hmm. And there really wasn't anything you did at any given time that was, you know, that significant. It was just a small step in the right direction. You've partly answered my next question in what you've said already, because I'm really interested in that element of of mental fortitude. My late father was one of the most disciplined people I knew, and he had an incredible ability to push himself to do things that you'd think, how on earth do you keep going? You know, you've, you've worked this incredibly long day and now you're going to go get out and go for a run because, you know, that's what you do. Or he, or it was, you know, getting up at 5 a.m. every morning and and praying for, for people. You know, he, he just, whatever it was, whether it was the spiritual or the physical or the work element of his life, he just had this incredible self-discipline, which was quite quite daunting uh, you know i i think as someone who would wanted to be like my dad you know can you talk a bit about that mental fortitude is it something i mean how much of it is just innate something we're born with and and if not completely innate how do we build that how do we get stronger mentally to achieve these goals yeah i think that's a really great question and i, I do think it goes a, a few different ways there's no doubt that there are some people that are hardwired for that uh, and that they're just it's just in their nature to be more disciplined and they don't need consistent motivation to be able to just keep moving forward. I do think part of it in especially in today's culture is you know we we look at like our parents who how hard I know how hard my dad worked and never complained about it and it was just you know part of what he did. You know, he still worked out, he still coached all of our sports and you know he was just he was always on the go doing something. Uh, for for us and for our family. And, you know, nowadays, I think part of it is we're just so distracted. So I think there's just this level of excess comfort, excess distraction. And as a result, we just have a really, really hard time, you know, if it's finding time, so to speak, I think that's, you know, something that unfortunately is overused, because we just we're distracting ourselves too much. We're comfortable all the time. And that's going to be, that's certainly going to fight against discipline uh, where, you know, it's just, it's easier to choose an extra half an hour of sleep, or it's easier to choose an episode of Netflix as opposed to planning out your meals for the week. So f- to me, it comes down to having, having an opportunity to step away from some of that stuff. Again, the reflection, I think is a really good starting point. You have to have a bit of an honest conversation, whether that's journaling or, you know, you mentioned the idea of, of, of prayer, of journaling, gratitude, things like that, where we can, we can step back from life and the chaos and the noise that we're in and have an honest conversation with ourselves about what we want and how we can, you know, work towards getting there and, and then come up with a plan and build a system that maybe initially it's okay. I don't, I don't have the margin to exercise four times a week, but I can plan out my meals. I can take 30 minutes today and I can write out my meals for the week and set myself up for failure there. And I think that's where you start to, you know, you start stacking bricks where, Mm -hmm. you know, you get a little bit of success and you see how it helps you improve your life. And then you can figure out what that next step looks like. 
Um, so I guess that'd be the starting point for it as far as I'm concerned is, is just being able to, to realize your weaknesses, um, have that honest conversation, and then develop a plan in whatever capacity you're looking to improve to you know, take those marginal uh, steps in the right direction. Wow, that's fantastic. It just perhaps is a, a time also to mention family. And I know that this is something that really stood out to me uh, following you on Twitter is seeing that passion for your family. You know, you're a passionate father. And I think that that's something that's often kept in the background. And again, if I refer back to Phil Knight's book, I think for all of the th- incredible things he achieved, he acknowledges regularly that his family really paid the price for that. His children, he would kind of give them the leftover time and, you know, often he was away. Can we talk a bit about about that? It's great to discover your passion and pursue that passion in terms of work, but how do you maintain that balance and, and where do values come in in all of this? How do you avoid the distraction? And for you, for all that you're doing, how do you keep that compass of, of family uh, in your mind? Yeah, it's a work in progress. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Obviously, there's been a ton of change for for both my brother Brad and I over the course of the last you know year, year and a half, where you know we're we're exclusively working from home now, doing a lot of you know writing and podcasts and working with clients, and so there, there's a lot of demands and a lot of things that are pulling us and distracting us at times. And uh, I think you know we try to we try to always remind ourselves that the reason that we're doing this is yes, we want to continue to help clients and help people take control of their health. But we're also trying to build a life for our family. You know, if, if we wanted to just continue to grind and, you know, generate, make money and, and provide and all that stuff, we could go right back to what we were doing before. And this, a big driving force for this was we wanted to be there more with our kids and we wanted to be more present with our, with our spouses and offer them opportunities for experiences in life. And if it, if at any point, you know, the business all of a sudden becomes something other than that, then it's, what are we doing here? So, you know, there's, there's kind of that time and that place where you recognize, you know, we're building and we're growing and there's a lot of days where we're kind of overwhelmed, but if we're not, you know, working from home with young kids, you know, my, my, my son likes to come in. I'm surprised he hasn't so far (laughs) come into the, come into the office and, and, you know, say, Hey daddy. And it, you know, there would have probably been a time where I would have been frustrated by that. And now I just kind of like take it as it is. And it's, it's just part of life. And sometimes it it does break up your workflow, but the work's always going to be there. And at the end of the day, my kids are not always going to be in this house. You know, it'll be, you know, 15 years from now where I'll, I'll wish they were two, two years old again, running around. Mm-hmm. So it's chaotic and it's not always easy, but I'm, I'm trying to just embrace doing the best I can with every day. But then, you know, if it's uh, dinner time or if it's, you know, getting ready for bed, putting the phone away, I think that's a huge, that's a huge piece that it's a challenge because this could easily turn into a 24 seven stare at your screen all day type of business. And um, trying to find some margin for that and, and opportunities where I talked about having a plan, you know, even just for us, we're trying to plan out one-on-one time with our kids. We're trying to plan out time where, you know, my wife and I can go grab coffee and things like that, because otherwise it, it can very easily be months and months where you don't, you just don't have that time built in because the job never ends. Uh, so just the, I think the intentionality is what, if, if you can make planning around your kids and planning around those experiences, your number one priority and everything else has to fit that, 
And that becomes, you know, your top pillar, so to speak, uh, to be successful. So again, I, I don't have it all figured out. It's a complete work in progress for me day after day, week after week. But those are just some of the few things I'm trying to trying to work on right now. Yeah, that's great. I can remember when I was a teacher and we had three little kids uh, under five. And I remember saying to a, a fellow teacher who was, you know, a little older, I said, oh, it was just a throwaway comment. I didn't think about it. I said, I'm really looking forward to when they're a little bit older. And, you know, it's just a bit easier. And he said to me, don't, don't wish for that because he said, you know, it'll come before you know it. And he said, just enjoy every age. And I absolutely can see that now, you know, my eldest has is, is moved out and getting on with his life. And we've got photos of the uh, kids when they were younger around the house. And I'm often just looking at those thinking, oh, what happened? <laughs> it it goes so quick. But um, it, it as you're speaking to, it reminds me of that analogy of, I think I read it in Stephen Covey's book uh, of the, you know, the university lecturer with the jar and he comes in and he's, he doesn't say anything and he starts putting in some some bigger rocks into the jar and then puts some gravel into the jar and then puts some, you know, really small little pebbles and then puts some sand in and he asks them, people, you know, what does this tell you? And someone says, well, it doesn't matter how much you've got in the jar, you can always fit more in. And he said, well, that's interesting. But he said, no. He said, what would happen if I started with the sand? And people thought for a minute and they said, well, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to get anything else in. And he said, that's exactly like life. You know, if you don't make time for the big rocks, then you will never fit them in. And as you're speaking, I think that intentionality is a really important one, isn't it? Because if we don't make out, make that time for the important tasks, then there's so many things that creep in, whether you're busy or not, because, you know, there's there's always another Netflix show that you can binge. <laughs> Before you know it, there's your weekend gone. So <laughs> Yeah. No, uh, I and I, you know, I think the other part of it too that I found and I forgot to mention this earlier is just a willingness to say no. I think that's, I mean, my, my wife and I have just come to the the conclusion that there's always going to be birthday parties. There's always going to be things that we're invited to. And if that just brings more stress on you and your family, then, you know, you shouldn't be doing things just to make others happy. If they're truly, you know, your family, truly your friends, you missing a, a a kid's birthday party is not the end of the world. I use that analogy a lot, but it's it's true. We we do a lot of things in life not because it's what's in the best interest of those closest to us, but it's just to make everybody else around us happy. And I think that even ties into the the career stuff. We do things because we think everybody else is doing it, so we probably should too. So yeah, I uh, I just I think it's interesting that. We're just in the rat race way too much and being able to every once in a while, take a step out of the rat race, reflect, spend some time with those we truly care about most. It goes a long ways. Yeah. Now, maybe we can jump on to talk uh, briefly about goals, uh, Chris. How important is it to have really clear goals when it comes to success? And if a client says to you, look, I want to lose weight or I want to get strong, is that adequate or do you try to encourage that person to make those goals more specific and measurable? Yeah, I mean I think that's a great question. I think it does. I think it depends on what you're looking to accomplish. So I can say, you know, with clients, yeah, we're going to we're going to target a specific goal whether that's weight loss or but we do try to even take take their eyes off the scale so to speak where you know, we're paying attention to other data points. You know, it's, I think it's really easy for us to get hyper-focused on getting to one specific target, regardless of what the goal is. And then we miss out on all those other things that are changing in our lives. Maybe it's, you're down a few pants sizes. Maybe you've added five pounds of muscle and all of your strength in the, in the weight room is, is significantly improved. 
And so, you know, your overall metabolic health is, is so much better off, but you know, for a couple of weeks, the scale hasn't moved and you're hyper-focused on that. And then that just adds stress to your life. And so you're stressing about something that you shouldn't be stressing about. Um, so it's, I think it's, it's understanding that it's okay to have goals, but you shouldn't be hyper-focused on them day in and day out, because I do think that can become a bit of a distraction. And for one, I'm not a big long-term goal guy. I think it's, I think it unfortunately handcuffs us because if you would have asked me five years ago, if I would be doing anything online, I didn't even have a social media. I didn't even have a social media account. You know, now here we are, you know, all, all of my goals at that point would have probably been, you know, purely physical therapy, maybe a few financial based goals. And I think I would have gotten so hyper-focused on those that it would have distracted me away from the opportunities that were being presented in front of me. So, you know, it kind of, you lose the ability to pivot and to do some things that maybe you would enjoy doing a little bit more. Um, And so I think it probably does look a little bit, a little bit different when it comes to, you know, weight loss and health goals and things like that. I think it's good to have targets there. But from a life perspective, I'm I'm more of a of a let's see how things go and let's let's have some objectives that we want to accomplish week in and week out. But you know, maybe things change. And and Brett and I talk about this all the time is we don't know what brother to brother becomes over the next five years. And we're just gonna kind of take it one day at a time and see what's presented to us and try to enjoy the enjoy the ride, so to speak. And we, we love coaching men and coaching, you know, improving people's health, but who knows what this becomes over the next few years. There's just going to be different things presented to us on a, on a week to week basis and month to month basis that who knows, we're, we're just open to the ability to pivot at any time. And life isn't really like a prescribed Ironman course, is it? You know, you're kind of making the course up as you go. <laughs> Suddenly you're not swimming anymore, but you're in a kayak. <laughs> yeah. And your passions change too. You know, you're you're just in different points of your life. And as my kids get older and and you know, things you know potentially change with family, then you know, those objectives change and the things that are the most important to us can change too. And I think that the more rigid we become with specific goals, I think that does potentially handcuff us. So And you alluded to something before, which I thought was just fantastic. It's that, you know, find out about different things, try different things. And it comes back to where we were starting, you know. You don't know what you can do if you never try new things. I was always, for many years, was very scared to fail. I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of it, but I, I had a bit of an epiphany at one point that there were a lot of things that I wasn't trying because I was worried that I wasn't going to be good enough. And I'd somehow misunderstood a message that my father, in with great intention, had said to me, if you're going to do something, do it properly. In my little brain as a kid, I understood that as being, if you're going to do something, you have to be excellent. And if you're not immediately excellent, then give it up. And that's just such a wrong way to think about life, isn't it? You know, I think that exploratory attitude is just so liberating. And you try something new, you, you know, you've discovered social media, you weren't on social media, now you've You've got, what, 110,000 followers on Twitter or something amazing. And it's, you know, who would have imagined that you would be here now doing what you're doing? Yeah. And I mean, a lot of different directions we can go with this, but I think part of you, you talked about just like, you know, being willing to willing to learn and enjoy the learning process. And uh, I mean, I think that gets back to even like education in general is we've created such a rigid structure around education and you know, having having kids who are passionate about learning and they're excited to learn rather than being forced to do something that, again, feels very rigid of, of 
sit here, learn this topic. Well, what if they wanted to learn about something a little bit different and and maybe that's their passion and eventually it leads them back to something else? I, I guess, I, I mean, I have a lot of opinions on on that stuff as well, but uh, I, I think you're spot on is we've got to nurture creativity a lot more. We've got to nurture just a an enjoyment of learning. And that's not just a, you know, K through 12 type thing in, in a formal education system, but even for adults is how do we find ways to, you know, get someone in their 30s to still enjoy learning and find areas that they're interested in, but they don't know a lot about so they can continue to build skills. And um, again, I think that the more skills you have, the more belief you have in yourself and uh, willingness to do all kinds of things in life. Yeah, this is, it's been so good talking with you, Chris. I, I want to conscious of your time and of your family and, and of balance and all the things we've talked about. And you've been extremely generous. I'm so glad that you uh, said yes rather than no when I hit you up completely out of the blue. And But I, I just thought maybe to, a couple of questions, quick questions to finish up with. And I, we don't expect you to give away all your secrets for free. But uh, what are a couple of the most important principles that we can all apply to help ourselves get in better shape? Not just so that we can um, find greater personal fulfillment, but so that we can be more present and uh, and able to participate with our families and our loved ones. Yeah, so I think first and foremost is just being able to create a little bit of margin for success. So if that's taking a, a small step back in the number of hours you worked or a few less social commitments throughout the month, is we just we don't need a ton of time to be successful when it comes to our health and you know it, it obviously starts with nutrition so i talked about a plan earlier you know something as simple as writing out your meals i think i mentioned that earlier too but you know write out your meals for the week have a game plan of when you're going to be when life's going to be the most chaotic this week is it tuesday and wednesday night we've got kids events and there's no way we're going to cook well how can we set ourselves up for success there and you know, I like I like putting a couple meals on autopilot every day. You know, I'm I'm pretty simple, but with men especially, we don't have control over dinner a lot of times um, because we have other events and things going on. So mm. let's let's make sure we get it right with breakfast and lunch. Simplify those things. You know, take the guesswork out. It's one decision. You know, we don't have to make. Then, if we know what we're doing, it becomes part of who we are. It makes us feel good every day, and we can carry those those early wins of a couple of quality meals throughout the rest of the day and kind of break up that vicious cycle of of negative you know negative nutrition inputs so to speak. Mm. So I think starting there is a good spot and then yeah, I think just getting back to um just recognizing that we don't have to be perfect and you know even the idea of uh oh, I'm going to have a cheat meal because I think that's very defeating for a lot of people just mm. by calling it a cheat meal where if we have a plan maybe two nights a week or even three nights a week you can almost do whatever you want. You, you don't have to be perfect with it, but if you can go back to that system the very next day, you know, this is what I do for breakfast. So it doesn't matter if I had six pieces of pizza and four beers last night, this is what I'm going to eat for breakfast. And you're going to get right back to that system. And that's going to help you to, we, Brett and I use the term never miss twice is if you can have something that's off schedule, but if the next morning you go back to your routine, then you're going to be set up for success long-term. So yeah, I think that's a that's a good starting point. And then just not over committing yourself when it comes to exercise too, where, okay, I'm gonna go all in here and I'm gonna I'm gonna work out five days a week. Well, maybe you only make it two or three, and then you feel like you somehow failed when two or three workouts is a heck of a lot better than the week before when you did zero, but you still feel like in some capacity you failed. So 
couple workouts a week, 30 minutes, and just try to consistently get up and move. You know, walking is is highly, highly underrated as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, I think I'll I'll, I'll stop there. I think those are, that's a good starting point. That's excellent. And I think there's a, a recurring theme that we've discovered through the talk is just those little steps that as building bricks. And I love that point too. You know, we can easily, I think I can certainly relate to that. Maybe it's a, I don't know if it's a Protestant guilt thing, but the idea that guilt can easily be very unhelpful. And so just getting ourselves up and, and making those little steps is fantastic. Now, for, for anyone who wants to follow you and Brett, learn more about what you do, how do they learn more about Brother to Brother and where can they uh, where can they find out more? Yeah, so we're, we're both very present on on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Chris Betcher 9 and my brother's at Brett Betcher 1. Um, we have a, a, a newsletter that goes out a couple of times a week called the Fit Fathers Flyer. And we try to pour a ton of information into there, provide a bunch of value and consistently gives you guys some background on what we're about, what our program is about, and uh, a lot of just, you know, free nutrition, free fitness advice in there as well. Um, and if you're interested in, in a little bit more and some of our client results, our, our website's brother2brotheru.com. Fantastic. Well, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. And uh, I am sure that we're going to get a lot of interest from people who've listened to this. And I would just say thank you again for your time, for someone who's who's so busy. Um, thanks for sharing your time with us today. Yeah, thanks, Ken. It, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I got to talk about some things today that I don't usually get to talk about. So really, really enjoyed the conversation that wasn't you know so focused on nutrition the whole time. It's, it's been a pleasure. So Tess, what did you think? Oh, I learned so much, Ken. I do from every interview, which is why I love doing this podcast so much. But one of the things that really stuck with me was this idea of the sunk cost fallacy, because I think we're, we're all so susceptible to it. When you put a lot of resources into something, it's so hard to then to change or to move on to something, and particularly something like university fees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're actually going to discuss this in next week interview with coach Sarah Burrows. We actually don't live in a world where you study and then get a forever job. It's just not the way the world works anymore. And you really need to think of your university degree as a launching pad. You're learning skills that will be useful in many different potential careers. Yeah. And I think you talk about that when you chat with Sarah, the the fact that you have studied probably your whole life, uh, taking into account school. And I've been the same. I think that, and it doesn't have to be formal studying, but it's just the opportunity is there for us to continue to gather different skills in, in formal or informal ways and then make those changes. And and we've both had a number of significant career changes that reflect that. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think the only thing that we would add as a bit of a caveat, wouldn't we, is that the cost of studies in Australia is significantly less than the cost in the US. So when we talk about sunk cost fallacy, uh, we're talking about a bigger sinking of costs in, in the American system. Exactly. It's sort of a, a tens of thousands versus hundreds of thousands difference potentially. And the decisions you might have to make for yourself or your family in your future are actually quite different to someone who doesn't have that level of debt. So I don't want to make light of that financial burden and some of the pressures people might be under. Yeah, but if I channel uh, Chris, I think he would say, don't ever feel like you have no choice. Even when the choices are difficult, if you're really unhappy, then make a choice and and change direction. Look, the thing that I really liked, I liked a lot out of that interview too. He was uh, a very wise person to chat with. 
but I like the idea that he proposed of taking marginal steps towards achieving our goals. And he really said, look, don't try and achieve everything at once. Now, I don't know about you, Tess, but I do get quite excited and ambitious when I come up with a new goal and I can set really unrealistic targets for myself that I don't achieve. And I think Chris would say, look, don't try and bite off more than you can chew. Start with something small and then turn that into a habit and then build on that. And he called it stacking bricks. And I really like that. Now, the other thing too that he said that was great was don't beat yourself up when you do fail to meet your targets. He said he and his brother Brett used the saying, don't fail twice. You might make a mistake, then just correct it the next day. Yeah, Ken, you and I are both definitely uh, optimists and and we fall into the optimism bias, which we've done an episode on previously if you haven't listened to it. But on this same topic, making time for big rocks is what you really need to do to achieve those goals. So if you're not making time for those little goals, then it's it's not going to happen. And by saying yes to one thing, you're actually saying no to other unknown things like time with your family or maybe opportunities that might actually be better for you if you actually saw them both at the same time. Yeah, very wise. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, as we often say, one of the best things you can do is go and tell someone else about it. It's a really good way to cement those lessons in your own mind. But I think it's also about sharing something that could be useful for others. So yeah, tell people about what you learned, but also point them to the episode. They might like to learn from Chris's story as well. And check out Chris and Brett's website. As they said, it's brother2, the number two, brother two, brother you. And don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast and write a review if you haven't already. Bye for now.